0: I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. It is the Wong Takes, and it is Tuesday, January 29th, 2019, the last episode of January, the last episode of the first month of 2019. It is crazy. We've had five Tuesdays this month. Seems like it's gone on for a while. Um, But we are coming up to the Super Bowl. Uh, We're coming up to March Madness. I mean, after this, I mean, the sports calendar really revs up. I mean, we got the Super Bowl, and then we've got uh, March Madness. We've got the start of the Major League Baseball season, and we've got uh, championship basketball playoffs, and then we've got some more golf majors and tennis majors, and and then we're back into the real meet uh or we're 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 coming out of one meet and entering another meet of the sports calendar um, and the Super Bowl is coming up, as you may very well know, and so I told you last week that we'd be doing a Super Bowl preview, and I wasn't lying. We are in fact going to do a super Bowl preview um and that starts now uh actually, first, before I get into the what I was originally going to say. Uh, Media Day, or the media program for the Super Bowl started yesterday, where you got all of the people, it was formerly known as, I think, Radio Day, uh, Radio Row, but either way, you get all of the players and the coaches and they all meet in the stadium and talk about whatever reporters want to talk about, about their teams, about the other team, about miscellaneous things. And I think it's great because it's a time we get to see a side of the players we don't normally see. Because when you're, when you're talking to players, especially if you're a part of the national media, it's not very often you get to talk about, you know, frivolous things like what's your favorite food or do you like birds or whatnot, which both were topics that came up uh, on Media Day. And so, since you've only got, you know, two teams to focus on and there's only so much you can talk about one football game coming up and, and the other team and your own team you start to get into some more of the fun stuff, and we see the fun side of these players. Uh, Gronk, as always, came out firing. He had, he was dancing. He was talking about whatever. Uh, he's having a lot of fun. One of my personal favorite moments was when Akib Talib talked to Wade Phillips about when he had figured out how coaching works, and Wade Phillips said, I've been popping since my demos, which... Uh, Gonna be honest, had to look up that reference. I, I do not know the depths of hip-hop. I also don't really like Future that much. Uh, I, I listen to hip-hop, but I don't, think, don't like Future very much. Anyway, unpopular opinion. Anyway, I, I can totally... I was thinking when I was walking home from school today. I can totally imagine Wade Phillips just reading that line uh, and hearing that line in a song and going up to Akib Tlaib and being like, Akib Akib, can you interview me and ask me this question? Because I have this killer response. And then it keeps up being, being, like, kind of confused and just going, okay, whatever, and then getting the Rams to post it on their Twitter feed. Anyway, uh, I thought that was a pretty funny moment. And it brings some levity to the situation because the Super Bowl is pretty intense and you've got two weeks of people coming up to you and and being, I've got my hopes and dreams on you. and uh, This media day is, is, is quite a bit of fun in the um, in contrast to what, you know, players and teams might appear to view the media as. But anyway, let's get into the actual Super Bowl itself. Uh, We're going to start out with the quarterbacks. We've got Jared Goff, 24 years old, I want to say, in his third season in the NFL against Tom Brady. Nine-time Super Bowl appearance, five-time Super Bowl winner. Uh, That's the most in history. 41 years old already the oldest person to start a Super Bowl, breaking his own record from last year, Uh, and he would be the oldest person, obviously, to win the Super Bowl, if he is able to, and in a record that would be pretty much unbreakable, unless he broke it himself, which I would not put that past him. Uh, 41 years of age. I I don't think any other QB that's 40 or older started a Super Bowl, Um, but Brady and Goff even though they had different narratives kind of surrounding them the whole year, Goff is the uh, you know the young guy who's got all this talent around him in his high-flying offense. And then the Patriots are kind of just handling business, going 11-5, and 5, doing what they usually do. Nothing super flashy with the exception of that time when they had Josh Gordon. Um, but unfortunately, that came into an end. But they actually had pretty similar stat lines during the regular season. Jared Goff had 293 yards per game, passing yards per game. 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Tom Brady had 272 yards, 29 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, so these two guys actually had pretty similar years. I think Brady's feet might be arguably more impressive just because he has fewer weapons, especially in the deep game, but then again, he's been with all of those weapons longer, guys like Julian Edelman, Chris Hogan, James White, Gronk. Uh, he's been familiar with them for long periods of time, and Goff is pretty new in the league, and, and guys like Cooks, uh, he, he's just getting new to. And although, Jared Goff has been missing Cooper Cup for much of the year, um, so that was a pretty significant handicap to that team, and kind of adds to the impressiveness of what Jared Goff's done this year. Uh, for what it's worth, their completion percentage, both were also around 65%. Um, and even though we talked about Tom Brady's age and how he's really getting up there, he's still got it. I mean... Last year in Super Bowl 52, he threw for 505 yards passing in a loss. So by no means is, you know, he's used to the stage. He's used to this charade that we do every Super Bowl of two weeks of media coverage and two weeks of film prep um, and traveling to a neutral site. He's done all of that ten times or nine times now. So he's, uh, the moment's not going to be too big for him, and I anticipate he'll have a similar game to the one he had last year but golf i think is has a little has much more pressure on him for this super bowl because he's gonna have to be extra special because last week against the saints the rams did not play up to their offensive standard now a lot of that has to do with the uncertainty they have at the running back position todd Gurley got the rams to here but he admitted uh during the nfc championship he played pretty poorly um in the limited time he had, and CJ Anderson deserved to get in there and get the majority of the carries. And I think the Rams, just because of the gravity of the situation, are going to be turning to Gurley more in the Super Bowl than they did last week. Um, but CJ Anderson is still going to get a lot of carries. And in the Super Bowl, I mean, players step up that you don't normally expect to step up. I think James White did a few years ago. So if CJ Anderson scores, I think CJ Anderson will score at least one touchdown, maybe two or three. Uh, so that but we'll get into that Uh, or that that's what I think about the two quarterbacks and that matchup and that topic has kind of been beaten to death but anyway uh, on the receiving side I think Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks are both gonna have big games uh, just because the Patriots secondary hasn't proven that they are elite um, first of all Woods and Cooks both had 1200 yard regular seasons um, and the Patriots' defense gave up 57 completions of 20 or more yards in the regular season, which was 10th most in the league, and only 8 less than Kansas City, who gave up 65 completions of 20-plus yards, uh, which was the league worst. So the Patriots' secondary is can be vulnerable, and even though they've got weeks to prepare, I wouldn't be surprised to see Goff making some deep throws and hitting those deep throws. The Eagles did that last year, in fact. Alshon Jeffrey made that miraculous catch in the Super Bowl. That was, I believe, the Eagles' first touchdown um, and kind of established that, look, we're for real in this game. I think on the Patriots' side, I think they should turn to Gronkowski out wide in addition to their current wide receivers. At the end of the AFC Championship game, on that third, third third and long conversion, they went to Gronk on the outside, and... He always presents a mismatch when you put him out there, especially in short to medium yardage situations. Because with his size, he can just post up on, on cornerbacks. And I, I think he'll need to do that in this game, kind of neutralize that Ram secondary a little bit, especially if they're playing man coverage. Um, and the Patriots wide receivers, then other wide receivers, will be able to use their uh, athleticism to kind of exploit holes in the middle. So I think that's what, Patriots are going to have to do on the receiving end. But, like I said, uh, our, the Rams' secondary is very good, especially after they got to Talib back. Uh, they're especially dangerous. Uh, I think you should watch out for those cornerbacks in this game, Talib and Peters. Uh, here's a Bill Belichick quote. Uh, I mean, you've got to worry about them not just intercepting the ball. You've got to worry about them intercepting and running back for a touchdown, too. End quote. The margin for error is really so small against those two backs because, like Belichick said, if you're a little off and so let's say it's an outbreaking route and you miss it inside, that's basically a pick six with their speed and their ability to to make plays with the ball in their hand. So I, I think one, if not both of them, are going to have an interception in this game. And Tlaib actually had a brief stint with the Patriots in 2012-2013. So he'll know a little more than your average, your average player. He also went up with them against them a few times, I think, with the Broncos. So he's got ex- perhaps more experience, uh, having played in the AFC for longer, uh, playing against the Patriots than perhaps his his teammates might might have. Now, as far as Tom Brady, I know we talked about the quarterback matchup earlier, but. Normally, when Super Bowl week rolls around and we're talking about quarterbacks, there's a lot of talk about legacy. If X quarterback wins this game, what does it mean for his legacy? How does this impact how 10, 20, 30 years from now, people will remember him? Will it be in the context of a Super Bowl winner? Will it be with this team? Will it be um, because of a certain controversy? Uh, How will legacy be affected? And I actually don't think Brady's legacy changes very much, no matter what happens in this game. I mean, it's his nine Super Bowl appearance, given his age and his weapons. it's kind of insane he even got here in the first actually now his weapons are pretty good it's It's still kind of crazy he even got here in the first place uh I don't think this changes the discussion much because take a look at last year as a test case. At, or two years ago, after he won the championship against what was it the Falcons, right? He, with his fifth win, most all time, establishes the GOAT. He loses the Super Bowl last year. People don't talk about him any differently because he lost that. People still say he's the GOAT, still say he's one of, if not the best ever, right? Uh, that's the phrase that gets used super often in in, in conversations like this. People aren't talking about him differently because he lost to the Eagles. Maybe it provides fodder for him to want to get back, uh, motivation like it is this year. But at this point, now that he's won the Super Bowl enough times, people accept that he is—he—he he lives for these moments. He's not going to be derided like, say, I don't know, Charles Barkley was not winning a championship, right? He's won five. So if he wins this game, he moves to six and two in Super... or six and three in Super Bowls. If he loses it, he goes to five and four. But either way, he's got the most championship wins ever, and he has a chance to extend it in this game. And, And this game doesn't change 10, 20, 30 years from now what people are saying about him. I think people will remember more that... As he was cresping 40, he made three Super Bowls in a row, and not and, and then maybe winning one or two of them is just kind of a bonus. But getting here, I think, is what people remember, and getting here is his legacy, and that's how this season will change his legacy. For the Rams, meanwhile, they have a chance to really establish themselves as a powerhouse because after that Saints game and the controversial ending and the no-call and the lawsuits and whatever, 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 and whatever legacy this might have on on review in the future, people are going to be doubting the Rams. People are going to be saying, you don't deserve to be here. Now, people are a little more kind of knowledgeable than that. I mean, they know that the Rams also uh, won that game in addition to the refs losing it for the Saints. Uh, The Rams played well in clutch situations as well. I mean, people forget they had to go down the field to tie that game and then kick a really long field going over it on the win. But people are, no matter what, people are going to be saying, look, there's a, there's there's kind of an asterisk here. Uh, you You advanced on a blown call. But if the Rams can win this game, they can kind of put those doubters away, at least for the time being. Now, the closeness of that game made it so that People aren't really doubting them as much as if it was I don't know uh, rigged and they had to give it to the Rams even though the Saints blew them out and won. Um, but if the Rams can win this game, I mean I said last week how young this core is uh, from the coaching staff to the players and how they have the potential to be good for you know a Patriots style run where for a decade and a half you keep you you manage to keep this core. Uh, and win multiple Super Bowls and get to many. Uh, as an as a NFC West, other team, the NFC West fan, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but, but the Rams, if they can win this game, they will come into next year even better with the return of Cooper Cup uh, if they don't lose any of their major pieces and having been the reigning champion. Uh, and that's a position that not many teams get the luxury uh, to feel. And to afford as a team so the Super Bowl is this Sunday February 3rd let me get the date right February 3rd in Atlanta the New England Patriots of the AFC face the Los Angeles Rams of the NSC I'm gonna get that city right and uh, it's on CBS Jim Nance and Tony Romo I think are on the call so I look forward to, oh yeah, also, one note, Uh, Pro Bowl Dodgeball. Big fans, uh, please keep the Pro Bowl Dodgeball. I would not be against making the Pro Bowl Skills Challenge the entire Pro Bowl weekend, or at least adding some events and adding some players and making it like 10 events instead of 5, uh, or 11 events instead of 5, because the Pro Bowl Skills Challenge is way more fun, because we get to see players actually giving 100% effort Uh, in something. And also, just having them look just as bad as us at dodge at dodgeball is pretty funny, and uh, I guess confidence building. If 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 that kind of validation helps, uh, but I, I the Pro Bowl just sucks uh, because you I you have to strike a balance between not wanting to hurt players and wanting to deliver a good product, and the NFL is leaning on the side of wanting to protect players, and I don't blame them. If I were a player, I don't want to play in the Pro Bowl and get hurt and have to spend my offseason rehabbing when I wouldn't have to otherwise. Um, It's just a dilemma. It's a no-win situation for the NFL, and uh, I don't know what that means for the future of the Pro Bowl, but uh, that's just what I think about it. Okay, next major topic. The U.S. Open on the women's side, uh, or the Australian Open on the women's side, and the winner of the Australian Open on the women's side, Naomi Osaka. Now, she, this is her second consecutive major win after last year's US Open. And she finally gets a major all with no controversy or anything. Because the US Open last year, Serena Williams was complaining about some of the calls from the ref. And she got a whole game penalty. And if you remember, the crowd was booing during the ceremony. And it was just a very unpleasant sight. And it's unfortunate that Osaka had to go through that. But now she's put herself back on this stage. And she gets a major all to herself. Um, which is really awesome to see. And all the con- or all the conversation surrounding it is about her and not about any controversy. Uh, and... One thing I notice is she is really, really fierce out there. I mean, coming off in interviews, she's shy, she's pretty reserved, she's a standard kind of, um, I guess you could say, introvert. But on the court, she doesn't break a smile, she doesn't show any emotion, she's uh, she's emotionless, uh, and she doesn't seem like the person who feels. Uh, that she comes off as in interviews, which is she feels pretty lucky to be there um and but she knows how good she is, and on the court it really shows what what 's interesting and she 's also very poised for her age i mean she 's like twenty one uh but she has a very unique background uh, and something that 's kind of new to tennis uh She has a Japanese mother and a Haitian father she actually took the last name of her Japanese mother because uh, she was born in Japan, and I think I saw on Wikipedia, it's like for practical reasons, um, just it was easier to, I guess, pronounce or write out. Uh, She was born in Japan, like I said, but she moved to the U.S. when she was three. So she actually has an interesting kind of background. Uh, Ethnically, she's both Haitian and Japanese, but nationality-wise, I mean, she's pretty American. She doesn't speak, uh, I don't think she speaks Japanese super fluently, but she speaks English like a native because she was raised here. Uh, and so she kind of has, has a trifecta of countries that she associates with, um, and, th- and that's pretty unique for for any situation. But her parents decided that she would represent Japan um, be, for 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 various reasons. But uh, you yeah, know, her sister actually is also a tennis player. I believe her name is Mari Osaka. I saw her on Wikipedia, <laughs> as you can see. That's where I did my research for this topic. Um, but I think what Osaka's legacy. Uh, is going to be at least uh, culturally is that she's going to inspire a whole new generation of Japanese tennis players. Because we know that when you get international stars that succeed on an international stage, they in a sport that is perhaps not as popular uh, in that country outside of that one person, it inspires a generation of players. I mean, uh, you see that in soccer in the U.S. or 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 other countries with American football or, or whatnot. And on the uh, in tennis, Japanese there aren't too many Japanese stars. Uh, on the men's side, you have Shikori, but if you're a casual fan, you might not know him. Or I'm a casual fan, but if you don't watch tennis super often, you might not be super familiar with him. I know I'm certainly not the most familiar with him, uh, and. But now that on the women and and Kay, Kay's never, for he's been in the top 10 for a long time, but he's never been number one. He's never been the face of the sport. That's always been Fed, Nadal, Djokovic, and, and Andy Murray you could throw in there, and Vavrinka maybe you could throw in there. Um, but on the women's side, now you get this number one player. She takes over the number one ranking in the world. And you could see that the impact she was having on on Japan because in the crowd they kept showing... I don't know if this was because there were a lot of them in the crowd or ESPN just felt like showing shots of them, but they kept showing shots of Japanese fans who just looks of pure joy when she succeeded on the court. And I don't think that is a an individualized experience. I think a lot of people in Japan and Japanese immigrants around the world are feeling a similar sort of pride. I mean, even though Osaka... Uh, wasn't raised in Japan and might not speak Japanese fluently, she still represents them and is a positive representation of Japan on the international stage. And she's a Japanese mother, of course. So there's a lot of pride there, and and she's all. It doesn't hurt that she's a really easy person to get behind. Uh, she's non-controversial. She's nice. She's um, she's just a good person all around. And no, and and nothing, no dirty laundry falling her or anything. So, uh, I think that'll really help her expand her influence is being associated with Japan, and tennis passes on the torch. Uh, perhaps one could argue from Serena Williams, who's a minority individual, to another minority individual, and and perhaps that's a, and that's a good thing. Uh, tennis has had you know. Arthur Ashe helped break the color barrier, but it, it, for a while it was pretty restrictive, and so it's good to see tennis get a little more diverse uh, as we move on in the, and as we continue in the 21st century. Okay, third major topic, uh, a little shorter one. The Warriors got uh, DeMarcus Cousins back. Actually, another NBA topic, the Anthony Davis fiasco. We're not going to talk about that today. Maybe another time if more developments come out. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe they'll end up on the quick take. Who knows? Um, but either way, the Warriors get DeMarcus Cousins back uh, from injury. He's been out for almost a year since suffering injury, season-ending injury with the Pelicans last year, and now he's back. And the Warriors look good as ever. Uh, they, after losing to the Rockets in that crazy game a couple weeks ago in overtime, I believe, they've won 11 straight games, including a blowout win over Denver and a close win over Boston. Um, and they are cruising right now. And Boogie... Does so much for the Warriors, but I think one of the first, one of the most important things is he. Well, actually, two things. One, he spreads the floor. Uh, it's totally different having Kavon Looney, the person you pass to at the top of the key, because you know he's going to be looking to distribute, and you don't really have to cover him. People will step ten feet back from him. DeMarcus Cousins is not the same way. If you, if Steph Curry passes it out to the center on the floor at the top of the key, DeMarcus Cousins can actually shoot that and make it. A decent percentage of the time so that just opens up a whole new dimension in the Warriors offense and you're starting to see that kind of same flow that we saw years ago like a couple of years ago that made them so much fun is that is that passing and that's really starting to come back and the Warriors are really clicking um, but also what he does and I, I think what is arguably more important is providing a a stopper on the offensive end so like if the other team is on a run and they've got a 10-0 run and you need points to kind of to kind of stop the bleeding. DeMarcus Cousins, you throw the ball into him, just let him work for a little and he's going to make a little 5-foot baby hook or a little drop step bucket. Uh, that's that's what a championship team needs because every team is going to have runs against them. But what matters is if you can get points reliably. Uh in stoppage or in, in tough situations and stop momentum. That's what separates that's one of the things that separates good teams from great teams. Um and that's the dimension that Demarcus Cousins adds to the Warriors. Because without him, I mean if they're cold if they go cold, they have to make a shot to get out of it. Whereas if they go cold now, they just throw it into Boogie uh, and let him work for a little bit. And even if he's not on the floor, you bring him on the floor. And that opens up shooters. Ignore the phone. That draws shooters into the paint, or sorry, that draws players into the paint and frees up shooters on the outside. Um, and so, Marcus Cousins is really making the Warriors super duper fun, uh, and I'm really excited to see how he integrate. He continues to improve chemistry with them uh, throughout the rest of the season and as we uh, head into the playoffs. Oh, well, what do you know? Anthony Davis ends up on the quick take anyway. He's fined $50,000 for publicly requesting a trade. So he requested a trade from the Pelicans through his agent, Rich Paul, who also happens to be LeBron James's agent, but never mind. Um, anyway, uh, so $50,000 for Anthony Davis is nothing because he makes, I think, six times that in per game. Uh, so he's no need to worry about that for him. Uh, it's more of a symbolic gesture from the association. Um, I was actually telling my friends about this. I mean, it's crazy the amount of power players have in the NBA, but that's another story for another time. Anyway, um, I think, personal prediction, I think he's going to end up in L.A. just because, A, the Rich Paul connection, and B, if he really wants to go to L.A., which it appears he does, uh, he's going to do what it takes to try to get there. Uh, If he really wants to go to L.A., he's going to stay in New Orleans for a little bit until they can put together a package for him because uh, the Pelicans probably don't want to ship it, or it's, the, it's in the Pelicans' control because they have uh, him under contract for the next couple of years, so the Pelicans are going to want a lot for Anthony Davis, and the Lakers have a lot to offer. If you take a look at their young core, uh, Kuzma, Ingram, Hart, Ball, uh, Lance, <laughs> uh, those are our Zubats, those are all players that could be offered, and some uh, possible first-round picks in the future, so the Lakers have a package to f- match what, or to give the Pelicans what they want. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised this summer to see that type of move. Um, and you, you get AD with LeBron. Um, and, and I would take that move if I was the Lakers, because this core, while it may pan out to something, I don't know if they have superstar, they all have superstar potential. Um, and, and with AD, you know what you're getting and you know that th- A forward combo of AD or a forward center combo of AD and LeBron will not only create wins right now, but it will act as a magnet for free agents that want to come over. For example, uh, Clay Thompson has been one of the names discussed, possibly heading to LA next year or in a few years, um, especially if AD goes over. So, yeah, if I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him ending up with LA. Um, it would be a great move for the Lakers and the Pelicans would kind of be able to start fresh and close the to close the book on the Anthony Davis chapter uh, of their existence, um, which has been a good like six or seven years now. So yeah, Anthony Davis requested a trade and we're all here all for it. Woj bomb, woge nuke, whatever you want to call it. Thank you so much for listening to the Wong Takes. As always, bit.ly slash the Wong Takes, the patreon.com slash the Wong Takes, the Wong Takes at gmail.com, rate the podcast and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Leave questions, send voicemails. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast on this fine Tuesday night, and I will see you with talk about Super Bowl 53 next week.